Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a coach. I run Strength Guild. I run the Barbell Open, which is going right now. It's the second week. We're finishing up Clean and Jerk. Tomorrow it ends. Ooh. And then powerlifting starts. So if you're a powerlifter, you can still get into it up until, well, the end of next week. you got to submit your squat by the end of next week. So, and then a bunch of other stuff, man. I'm always got my hands in something have Coffee you been sales. have you been looking at the uh <laughs> at the videos and stuff for the barbell open yet or no yeah yeah oh it's, yeah, it's yeah, i didn't know if them. you guys tried to look at them in batches or if it was on like yeah as you go. No, it's all we're done with week one like snatch is over and then clean and jerk doesn't get there's no reason in even delving into them all until the end of the week everybody holds off because you get all week to post it oh right so right. what you see is everybody holds off to submit until the end of the week in case they want to try it again, because you can only submit once. Let's say you submitted Tuesday, and then you came back, and you were feeling great Friday. Well, it's too late. You already submitted. So everybody holds their videos, tries as many times as they think is possible. I, I get and, it. And uh, I don't think we'll see that much in, in powerlifting, because it's really hard to go, like, max squat, and then a few days later expect to do better. Is, but, uh, is the barbell open? <laughs> are these videos harder to judge for the Olympic lifters? Then for the power lifters, do you think? Or um, honestly, I think for the Olympic lifters, it's it's harder on them because there's a lot of little nuances in the lift. Like, was that locked out or wasn't it? You know, because it needs to go straight to lockout on exactly. clean jerk and snatch. Yeah. And with that instant replayability, we're able to be harder on them than judgment call in a split second. You know. Yeah. yeah. So like even my own lifters, I'm like, I don't know. Let me go back and look at that video again because it looked pretty good. And then I'm like, no, you better not submit that because I'm going to turn it down. Um, because I'm able to go back and look at it four or five times. You know, <laughs> and, you know. that's an interesting aspect of this in that yeah. the judging could actually be better than live. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. we have the ability to go over it over again and again. It's not just that one shot, okay, make that judgment call. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Good stuff. Um, okay, everybody, listen. Uh, I thought what we could do today is answer some Reddit questions. I was browsing around online one thing led to another, and I ended up looking at a subreddit on lean weight gain. And there are so few qualified people who can talk about lean weight gain. I mean, most weight management, if you talk to a dietitian or a health coach, they're, they obsess over weight loss, you know, instead of weight gain. So, um, and you know what, and I want to address one, one comment that I saw. Too. Some of these Reddit questions are old. Uh, some are new, but you know how there's common threads. You can kind of see things get repeated in different versions. But one of them said something about Iron Radio. They were recommending us, and I appreciate that. And they said it's – they called it, quote, low-budget, high-quality. And, <laughs> and you know what? That's the plan, guys, right? Yeah, Is, okay with that. Yeah, because that's what allows the consistency over eight or nine years is that we don't spend countless hours – folding in all kinds of extra um, doodads when the real content, frankly, is either the guests or the 
you know, the, the discussions that come out of this. I mean, sort of the idea as before Iron Radio existed was let's just record some of these calls because, I, you know, instead of us just preaching to the choir, other people might be able to benefit, mm-hmm. you know. But, yeah, so we are low budget, and that's that's quite on purpose. We have to have minimal time and money commitment to make this rock-solid consistent. So, in fact, I've actually heard some podcast uh, gurus talk about that, and I'm like, damn, bang on, right? Is mm-hmm. That's how we survive. Is because, you know, you, you see these podcasters, they put in way too much time and money. They do video casts, um, stuff like that, and they spend way too much time with all these overlays and, and animations and all the stuff that you can do now, and it lasts for about three months. Or it's so spotty, you can't even that you know get much value from it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we are sort of like that. Which, by the way, we we are now going to start putting up the audio on YouTube. I know some people don't like that uh, because they're like, well, where's the video? Well, I guess I could put a little webcam in the corner of my desk here and you could watch me sit here with my coffee and, and my tank top and pajamas or something. But, <laughs> I, you know, and I know Phil's <laughs> not much better in the morning. No. So uh, we could do that. But I'm not sure how much you're going to get from it. Maybe yeah. I don't know. It, like I said, it's one of those things where if you if you don't like the audio only on YouTube, I, I get that people could play YouTube uh, and they just show album cover art and listen to music. The, the audio podcast idea, it, like I said, it's not going to be a vidcast. So I still think that because it's not that hard for me to upload it to YouTube, what the hell? You know, some people have a Xbox or a Roku or they listen to something that's got YouTube on it very built in innately. And they can listen in the living room while they get ready for the gym. It's just another vehicle, you know. Mm -hmm. And the reason that started was because, of course, the server went down. Our podcast audio server went down a week or two ago, two weeks, I guess. And I'm like, how do I stream this from a free server? I'm like, oh, YouTube. So there it is. Okay, um, you know what? Before we get started, I, I want to offer a, a quick rant. This is something that I bumped into twice this week. And, you know, I, it's just irritating. Uh, and, Phil, I know you're going to think, oh, you know, Lana, you're, you're just jaded. We see this all the time. I know we do. But uh, miseducation in articles and even textbooks, it just uh, – certain things get in the public consciousness and no one will take a fresh look at it. You know, um, I'll give you one example. I think it was CNN, but I'm not sure. It was a big news source, and there's an article with this dietitian talking about how coffee dehydrates you. <sighs> Can we get over this? Coffee does not dehydrate you. Terry Graham is a very famous caffeine researcher from Canada, and it, he's been it's been 20 years since he debunked that. Coffee does not dehydrate you. I even had some students sort of, they were just curious and do sort of a validation project of that. And they were looking at urine-specific gravity. We actually have a simple little handheld device. It's not even electronic. And it can tell you how basically dark your pee is, you know, or how salty your pee is, for lack of a better word. And no, coffee does not dehydrate you. And there's that, it's the same thing that you often hear you know, and again, I don't want to point the fingers at registered dietitians specifically. I am one, but RDs, I see different health educators. They're sort of generalists, and they speak with authority, and people listen. But coffee does not dehydrate you. Then I was um, 
prepping for classes that start up here uh, in late August, of course, at the university. And the the book that I'm using for the the doctoral students in physical therapy, uh, there's a section in there about how anabolic steroids cause uncontrollable rage. And oh, and I'm just reading this stuff like, can we move on? Right? I mean, can we at least go to the literature and show that this concept of roid rage is grossly overblown? You know, it's just, I don't know. And like I said, these are authoritative sources, and they're they're teaching stuff from, they're just pulling stuff out of their butt. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, a little bit of news, and then I'll, I'll see what you think about each of these. Strength and Muscle Sport News. First couple of news bits is from the American Society for Nutrition. Uh, it's www.nutrition.org. This is arguably my main group. These are a lot of the MDs and PhDs of nutrition. So you're not going to see those, you know, bachelor's prepared dietitians that are not up on the literature like I was just talking about, for example. You have to be published in the literature to even be sort of a mid-level member, but there's some good stuff in here I thought I would share. These are just blurbs, so I can point you to where to go for more, but this first one says, Centers for Disease Control says the average weight of American man is up 15 pounds in the last 20 years. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, uh, their National Center for Health Statistics released a report that shows that the average American has put on 15 or more additional pounds without getting any taller since the early 90s. It's interesting. Uh, when looked at by race, blacks gained the most on average. Black women added 22 pounds since the early 90s, despite staying the same average height. Um, black men grew about one-fifth of an inch in height. That's interesting. Children gain significantly as well. 11-year-old girls are more than 7 pounds heavier, while boys are 13.5 pounds heavier compared to two decades ago. And I'm guessing a lot of that is pointing at obesity, obviously, yeah. but uh, we are definitely bigger, and we're not really any taller. So, And I, I don't know. It, Maybe it's demographic changes. Maybe it's differences in the, the food industry. It's hard to put a finger on that. Yeah. These are just little blurbs. Uh, here's one. You might find this funny, Phil. NPR poll. 75% of Americans say they eat healthy. The NPR conducted a poll with Truven Health Analytics. Uh, they looked at 3,000 U.S. adults this past May. Uh, they found a large gap in how healthy people perceive their diets versus how they actually eat. Uh, one question was, how healthy would you consider your eating habits to be? And 75% of the respondents ranked their diet as good, very good, or excellent. And this seems contrary to NHANES data. And if people aren't familiar with that health examination survey, it's, it's sort of the official way that the government and a lot of uh, professors keep their fingers on the pulse of what people are eating. Uh, but that those data show that 80% of Americans fail to eat the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables. So, I don't know. You've been at this a long time. Do you think people yeah. think they eat well? Or? I think they do. Yeah, I think the average person thinks they eat pretty good, and then they show you what you're eating, and you're like, ah, that's junk. So <laughs> That's yeah. all refined. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, there are certain culprits, too. Like, I eat bagels. They're healthy. Or muffins. 
And you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Or the, I eat lots of fruit. Juice. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pop-tart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's figs in those Fig Newtons. Oh, you know, my mom yeah. does that with the figs and the Fig Newtons. Yeah. Yep, so. that's dead on. Yeah. Um, just quickly, I don't usually do this part, but the ASN has a section on upcoming meetings. And I didn't know if small businessmen who listen might be interested if you've got a training business or something like that. It says small businesses seeking to commercialize health-related technologies uh, can learn how to access federal funding at an upcoming conference. The HHS Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business Technology Transfer Conference is in Orlando this uh, coming November 15th through 17th. So they've got representatives from the CDC there, the, the Food and Drug Administration, right, the FDA, um, uh, different groups. Um, small Business Administration, the SBA. I've actually looked into Small Business Administration loans before. But these are um, different ways to get funding if you have something health-related that you want to commercialize. Basically, they're, they're taking registrations for this November conference. So uh, There's some other funding stuff in there, too. Again, if you go to nutrition.org, you can check out some of these things. One of the things I don't think we do enough in our field is we always go to consumer pay model and if you look at a lot of what nutritionists or other health people do mental health people often they go for the grants there are grants that are not research grants right they're not just for the sciences they're like small business grants like this or conferences like this so you got to network and then um like i was working with a physician here in ohio a couple of years ago i'll withhold his name but he was getting a three hundred thousand dollar a year rolling grant to help people uh with healthier lifestyle in like the appalachian area so like for us it'd be like yeah. southeast ohio uh that's a lot of money and i don't mm -hmm. think a lot of people realize that you could put together a grant like a budget or a proposal by going to like this conference in orlando uh, and a huge part of your business can actually be underwritten with with government funds with a grant mm -hmm. so Okay, uh, so that's that's it from the ASN. I've got three listener questions here that I'm going to pose mostly to you, Phil. But before I do that, I have one more that's kind of backing up on me here. Uh, this is a couple of weeks old. It says, your diet plan isn't working. New research explains why. A study shows health plan successes determined by approach versus avoidance strategies. So this is from Baylor University. I got this through labmanager.com. Uh, but it says most diet plans are doomed from the start. The reason, dieters tend to adopt the wrong strategies, often planning to ditch their favorite foods and replace them with less desirable options, according to new research from Baylor. Uh, this is from their school of business, though, not health or, or anything like that. Now, I feel vindicated because I've been telling people to focus on do's, not don'ts forever. You know, don't eat carbs, don't eat gluten, don't, don't, don't. <coughs> You know, uh, but Meredith David is a Ph.D. assistant professor there of marketing at Baylor, says our research shows that instead of creating rules to avoid our favorite treats, dieters should focus on eating healthy foods that they enjoy. Dieters who restrict themselves from consuming the foods that they love may be setting themselves up for failure. Instead, they may be better off showing or uh, allowing occasional treats, quote unquote, focusing attention on daily healthy foods that they enjoy so this the whole idea with this is it's an inclusion not exclusion model 
And again, I feel pretty vindicated. Like, go eat something on diet before you go have your treat. You know, or find things that are both healthy and you like. You know, instead of forcing yourself to eat buckets of broccoli and brown rice or something. And I mean, unless you like it. So uh, as far as the findings themselves, here are a couple. When thinking of unhealthy foods to avoid as part of a diet, low self-control individuals usually think of foods to avoid that they actually really like, like their favorite snacks or their most tempting items. That's what they remove. But of course, that sets them up to fail. They're low self-control individuals. Interestingly, though, the high self-control individuals, they tend to focus on foods that they could reasonably forego. And, you know, so again, it's a little less painful and the, the high self-control people are probably more successful. It says, when thinking of healthy foods to eat as part of a diet, low self-control individuals think of foods they do not like, but they should eat, uh, even if it's highly unpalatable. Like, if you don't like Brussels sprouts, they say, you know, then they'll, they'll try to force themselves to eat plain Brussels sprouts, and that's mm-hmm. just not going to work. And then it says, high self-control individuals think of foods that they enjoy eating. Like, their example is strawberries. I like strawberries. I'm going to eat more of those. So, frequent attention is given to health advice surrounding well-intentioned lists of magical foods. And we've seen those before. You know, the power foods. (laughs) You know, usually oats and berries are on there. And there's good foods on there, but they kind of pose them as magical. Versus other plans that focus on quote-unquote poisonous foods that people are consuming and should not be. And I think about the gluten-free craze. You know, with that kind of stuff. So next time you focus on a diet, it says uh, offer strategies that are inclusive, like focus on the do's, not the don'ts. And again, yeah. that's my term. But I don't know. You work on – you give people some uh, diet help when they get ready for contests and stuff. I mean, target date contests are a little different because a lot mm-hmm. of people can suffer for two or three months. Yeah. Uh, but in the, in the last – Four to eight weeks, it's going to be. It's just like telling them this is going to suck, so shut up. Right. You know? Yeah. But, right. <laughs> right. <sighs> but but long, that, longer I mean, term, I mean, do you tell people to focus on? Do you try to point out good stuff they should? Yeah, be just regular people. It's like, what do you like? You should try this. You know, it's okay to eat if you like apples. Let's have some more apples. You don't need to eat this. You know, just because. You know, like you said, they. A lot of times people like that, they pick foods they hate, and I, I need to eat this. Like, I have to eat four pounds of spinach a day. I hate spinach. Well, no, you don't. There's other green things. But people, I don't know. <laughs> I've come to the point to think people love torture, and that's that's why I think people gravitate towards, like, these HCG diets and stuff. They think that a diet is supposed to suck, you know, and if it doesn't have that suck factor, they don't have anything to brag about, but then they also crash and burn and rebound. You know? <laughs> it's like, I, I lived through it. I eat 500 calories a day for 48 days. It's like, right. yeah, well, where are you at now? You exactly. Know? You know, there's so. also that idea, sort of related idea that, yeah, if you punish yourself enough, you kind of pay your dues for three weeks yeah. or six weeks or eight weeks, whatever it is, and then you get to keep keep the new body that you've yes. denied yes. as if, you know, phrases like battle of the bulge, there's no battle. Your body's just doing what you ask it to do, you yes. know, and so I don't know why people think they can – pay their dues, so to speak, and then their body's going to stay like that. Mm-hmm. It's asinine. It's, it's hard to convince people that they need to find a long-term approach. You need to find something you can live with. You know? Right on. <laughs> Forever. You know, and that's that's definitely the, you know what I try to do. And, yeah, there are quick fixes for people, like you said. If there's an event or something like that, totally different. 
But, you know, even my weight class athletes, it's like, okay, we just need to find something that keeps you here all the time that you can live with. Right, right on. You know. That's funny. I actually I tell students oftentimes the golden rule, my golden rule is if you make a change, uh, it's going to have to be something that lasts indefinitely, you know, mm-hmm. the rest of your life, like you're saying. So Yeah. So All right. Well, let me fire some listener questions at you. And then after the break, we're going to have Mike Nelson on. Uh, he's traveling again. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to uh, tackle some Reddit questions. But first, the direct Iron Radio ones, Rob sent me three of them from the last week or two so this first one is from ryan um it's called how to get six milligrams per kg of caffeine just from coffee so he says uh hey iron radio team i'm a pretty new lifter having only trained for about a year and a half that being said i'm a huge nerd a grad student in chemistry and i very much enjoyed nerding out about lifting your podcast has been a huge help hearing intelligent conversation on lifting and fitness Versus the bro science blogs that are right only about 50% of the time. Anyway, my question concerns uh, one of your recent podcasts, number 377, where you talked about the research into caffeine doses prior to working out. So uh, the stated dose was 6 milligrams per, ca- uh, per kg. He says, I'm six foot seven and 240 pounds. So, you know, he's a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, to get 660 milligrams of caffeine, I'd have to slog back five and a half mugs, damn near a whole pot, uh, before heading to the gym. I'm no stranger to the black bean, uh, etc. But you know, I think he's saying this seems like a lot. Uh, how would you get this much caffeine? Do I have to resort to anhydrous food grade from Sigma Chemical? <laughs> That's what I used to get uh. stuff from Sigma. Uh, I, what would what would you suggest, Phil? About if you're a big man, how do you get enough caffeine? Well, you could get my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> this was not set up. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, being serious, yeah, this wasn't set up. But, you know, I don't have the exact numbers, but I have somebody much smarter than me as far as caf- caffeine and coffee goes that makes my coffee. He's a, you know, he won Coffee Roaster of the, uh, what is it, Coffee Roaster of the Universe or something like that. Um, anyways, regular coffee has about 1.2% caffeine the one we have is about 3%, so almost three times as much. So you're looking at closer to 300 milligrams per cup of coffee. Oh, um, yeah. So there you go, two and a half cups. <laughs> Instead yep, of, yep. you know, so other than that, yeah, I mean, anhydrous, you know, add some to your coffee. Take some, for, what are they called, uh, Vivran or whatever. If you want to have one cup of coffee and pop some Vivran, something like that, that's a lot of freaking caffeine, though. You know, I've actually <laughs> I've actually done that. I'll, I'll put a... Uh, half a vibrant or even a whole vibrant like i'll kind of partly crush it up and just throw it in and i mean is that a little evil maybe maybe uh yeah but i know what he's saying ryan i hear you when we were doing coffee research up at bill ebbins lab up in milwaukee uh he's a great guy strength conditioning uh researcher of the year and all this sort of thing but we were trying to dose coffee and there were some bigger guys and indeed because it was pilot work we were just playing with it for the first time whole pot whole yeah. pot of yeah. coffee and that's not realistic you yeah. know uh now there are some ways around this i suppose like sometimes i'll go get those light java monsters you know mm-hmm. uh that's not just caffeine but those will light you up pretty bit pretty good you know you drink yeah. one of those uh monsters uh you're right the highly ca- naturally highly caffeinated coffees like mm-hmm. the stuff that uh uh what do you call it the murica blend Mur- murica blend yeah <laughs> And I can tell you what we use is the, it's called a robusto bean. 
So for that part, and it's it's grown in higher altitude, this and that. I can, all I have is my N of one and the people who bought it. But you know, I drink two cups of that, and I am lit. And I can sit here and drink pots all day, and or slam the energy drinks. So okay, yeah. Oh, I tell you, I uh, back in the day, I, I haven't looked at it in a while, but that Valhalla coffee or Odin's blend or whatever, I had some of that stuff, and damn, I did not sleep that night. So, yeah, exactly. I can't drink it in the afternoon. So. And I like the idea that it's naturally developed in the plant. It's not yeah. just like we were talking about being kind of evil and throwing anhydrous powder caffeine in your yeah. mug, you know. Yeah. But, um, so Yeah, that'd be the way to go. But. Uh, now, now, he does say thanks in advance for any info. I really appreciate the work you guys do and will definitely donate once I get out of the miserly state of grad school that <laughs> it has left me in. Yeah, I know about that. Still got the student loans. Life debt. Hashtag life debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, next up, this is from Mike. I've been listening to Iron Radio since almost the beginning, and it's the only podcast that I listen to. I love all the content. I trust and respect everyone who co- contributes to the show, which is why I am turning to you for advice. I apologize in advance if this is a little long-winded. So essentially, I'm gonna, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, and I apologize, Mike, but um, he's 6 feet tall. He's about 200 pounds, 14% fat, so, you know. Uh, athletic build mm-hmm. um, seriously training for about six years um, he says that he's been tra- chasing a 1300 pound total uh, anyway he says right now I have a high stress job it drains me physically and mentally before I even get to the gym uh, this is actually very common but it's a, it's a tough one uh, on top of this I recently discovered I have high blood pressure and uh, diabetic high blood sugar levels it's very hard to eat clean. Uh, Training-wise, he says, I'm running Wendler's 531. I think his strength is staying pretty st- uh, stable. But in a nutshell, I'm burned out before my workout ever begins, and I need to, to eat to address my health concerns, but I really don't want to sacrifice my other goals. Any input from anyone on past experiences like this or advice on training and eating uh, to not sacrifice one thing over another, and I think he's saying health versus gains, is greatly appreciated. Thanks for your time, Mike. Yeah. I mean, the easiest thing I'd say is eat eat immaculately clean the rest of the day and get the other stuff around your training. You okay. know, I mean, that's yeah. what I'm going to be doing here soon, even when I start dieting down. It's like my stuff is going to be the stuff I allow at the beginning will be right around training when I'm most likely to use it. Right. No, I hear you. I mean, I'm going to go in and do a crap load of squats and deadlifts and presses, and, you know, I'm going to burn a bunch of calories and a lot of glycogen. So, you know, I will will put my stuff around then, and then the rest of the day I'm eating really good. Right. So So almost treats around the gym. Yeah. Like, you know, your favorite foods. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Rob and I used to go have a big cup of coffee and a cheeseburger before we lifted. You know, yeah. that sounds yeah. funny, but it's kind of what you're saying. You know, I, do I eat like that all the time? No, I wake yeah. up and I have oats and berries. And honestly, we've talked about it a lot, and that's why I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the whole. The big thing for a long time was like that that post workout window. Everybody, oh, eat immaculate, starve yourself, just broccoli and chicken before you go to the gym and this and that. But after, you can have whatever you want for an hour. <laughs> and I was like, I'm done at that point. <laughs> You know, uh, that's funny. And now, and now I right. feel great. You know, right. I went into the gym dragging because I had no energy, and I get done training, and then I get done eating. It's like I'm ready to, you know, run a marathon. But yeah, I, you know, I, I will the opposite. I will offer Mike. Uh, 
I am actually a fan. I've always been a fan. You know, Phil's talking about eating like on a training diet, eating clean. I like to get up and have some carbs in the morning. I feel like when I don't have some carbs at breakfast uh, and before the actual weights, the gym, I'm dragging too. You know, so I like, like I said, oatmeal and berries. I'll throw some whey protein in there. That's not for everybody. I mean, you know, everybody's got individual differences, but I'm a huge fan of getting some carbohydrates in you. Now, there are some people like Dr. Jeff Volek, who is very low carb, you know, ketogenic type guy. And I want to get him on the show. He's also a powerlifter. (laughs) But I think people like that would suggest that you can adapt away from the carbs, but uh, I And that's one of the balanced things you need to talk about. Like if you have diabetic levels of, of blood sugar and if people aren't familiar, the resting cutoff, diagnostic cutoff is 126 fasted you know, uh, blood sugar, uh, milligrams per deciliter, 126. And so that's pretty high. Now, I've seen a lot of lifters, frankly, because you're often sore you know, and you're not metabolizing huge amounts of carbs sometimes if you're really sore all, all over, but in the 90s. You know, but over 126, that's too high. So uh, you do have to really be careful. But I, I would suggest that even for diabetic persons, uh, if you're on some kind of, even if it's just an oral medication, I'm guessing this is type 2 diabetes, so something like metformin or one of these oral hypoglycemics, they usually don't go right to the insulin until you're, you know, really having a hard time with high blood mm-hmm. sugars. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like oatmeal. I like slow-burning carbs. Have some apples or something throughout the day, you know, that kind of stuff. It's quality. It's got fiber and lots of nutrients and that kind of thing. Um, and that's actually not a bad idea, Phil. Before he goes to the gym, maybe that's where he uh, has something he really likes. Like yeah. I was laughing with somebody recently about having a Pop-Tart before the gym. That's an old Tom Platt's trick. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not something I'm going to have for breakfast, Yeah, you know, ever. <laughs> you well almost ever but uh before the gym yeah i'll have a little you know those foil packs like two pop tarts and wash it down with a big cup of coffee and i don't know some whey protein or something like you always say feel like easily digestible yep you know uh but you've got to set up your day and i i would also suggest because i fall into this pit myself mike don't uh jack yourself on coffee in the morning and then you're crashing you know, by time for the gym. I've actually had some success, and again, everybody's different, biological clock and metabolism and everything else, but when I hold off in the morning, like I'll just have a, a, a cup of half-calf to get my butt out of bed. I know that's weak, mm-hmm. but it's intentionally so, and then I won't have any strong stuff. I'll drink a little bit of half-calf throughout the day or tea, and then before the gym, it's go time. You know, I'll have some real coffee. It's hard to do that in the evening if you can't sleep. You know, there's pros and cons with this stuff, but yeah, yeah, get some protein and carbs in you before you train. You know, if your goal is fat loss, I don't think I would eat a ton of food right before I went and did some mild like uh, walking or something like that. But before the gym, it's it's actually time. You know, yeah. get the nutrients and the blood sugar up. All right, so uh, everyone, Phil had to take off for the gym. Uh, but one more before we go to break here. This is from Eric. He talks about, uh, he asks a question about rest between sets. Hi, guys. First of all, I'd like to thank you for creating the show every week. Uh, I've started weight training uh, five months ago, I think, and immediately started following your podcasts. 
I really like the academic slash scientific point of view regarding nutrition and lifting. Thanks a lot. I would like to ask your opinion on the following. Uh, when I'm training one of the big lifts, I try to take rest time between sets depending on my heart rate. Uh, I just wait until my heart rate returns to its post-warm-up level of 130, 130 beats per minute. After a heavy set of squats, it rises to over 180 beats per minute. And in a few minutes after the last rep, uh, it returns to 130. I only start a new set if my heart rate falls below 135-ish. Uh, sometimes this happens rather quickly. Sometimes it takes a bit longer. This result uh, is not always being in the two to three minute range that's advertised on many websites. Do you think my approach is okay in this regard? Should I stick to a specific time range between sets? Uh, thanks for your time and help in advance. Great stuff, guys. Best regards, Eric from the Netherlands. Uh, I will say this, Eric, a couple of things just quickly. There's different recommendations on rest between sets even if you look at like the national strength conditioning association information uh the kind of textbook things that i teach in a class um three minutes is considered a long time between sets that would be considered enough to start to reset the phosphagens you know the energy status of your muscles and that sort of thing uh for the most part at least and go at it heavy again some programs though they're going to reduce the amount of rest between sets. One minute between sets is considered very brief. And usually those kinds of programs are trying to jack your growth hormone levels up as much as possible during the workout. Uh, frankly, if you're in your 30s, you don't get as much of a growth hormone surge as when you're a 20-something anyway. But those brief one minute or less rest periods are usually focused on keeping your metabolism and your hormone levels kicking. Whereas the greater rest is so you can handle more weights honestly. So that's something to think about. I actually do something similar, Eric, when it comes to letting my heart rate come down. Like when I do my pre-lifting warm-up, just, you know, elliptical bike, whatever, I jack my heart rate up. I want to get it over 140, I want it, but only briefly, you know, just to kind of turn everything on. And then, yeah, I let it mine drop down under 130 is the way I've always done it, like in the 120s um, before I stop my cool down on the uh, elliptical or the treadmill or whatever. Uh, and I can see what you're doing between sets as well. I think most people, rather than actually taking their heart rate between sets, because obviously it's going to shoot up, especially doing stuff like heavy squats, you get that pressure effect. It's driving your blood pressure up and, and that sort of thing. Your, you know, Valsalva maneuver, you kind of hold your breath and, you know, on the way down. And uh, most people would just do it by time. Like, I don't want to tell you not to monitor, especially with uh, Fitbits and all these kind of fitness monitoring watches and stuff now. It, it, it gives you all kinds of feedback. And I like the idea that you're looking at your heart rate like that. Um, the old school uh, outlook on that is simply to, again, about three minutes is considered a lot of rest for for heavier lifts. Even three to five minutes if, you, if you're going really, you know, for like 90% um, plus lifts. Uh, I don't think I go much more than five minutes on, on average, though, because you, you know, you could risk getting cool, like cooling down. Uh, but yeah, the the sixty second stuff is considered really quite brief. So if you're after the GH or maybe even some extra testosterone uh, rise during exercise, the one minute, uh, otherwise it's three minutes. Or when you feel like your breath has returned to normal, some people will do it that way. You know, you feel like the extreme panting is gone, and you can kind of refocus and, and go again so uh, I think your body's feedback 
is also helpful as well as uh, just monitoring something quantitative like heart rate. So I think it's partly subjective. Uh, so those are at least some time frames for you to think about whether you're going for the faster hormone-related type of workout or you're going for more of a rest and go at it heavy kind of thing. So, Okay, that's it for our news and questions. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll have Dr. Mike Nelson. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everyone, we are back from the break. Uh, I've got Mike Nelson here, and what we may do in the topic of the day is patch together some things, uh, maybe some Dr. Nelson, maybe some additional Phil, that sort of thing. Uh, but we have some questions from Reddit. Uh, I was looking through Reddit, uh, both the fitness forum and the um, weight gain 
forum. And some of these comments were old, some are new, but there are some common threads. So, uh, in fact, what I might do is set up um, a thread on one of these subreddits where we just solicit some questions. But I grabbed quite a few. So let me ask you this, Mike. Do you want to do nutrition or training or personal history and philosophy? Those are like the three categories. I'll start with some nutrition stuff. Okay. So, yeah, we'll tackle some nutrition. Then if we have time, we can march forward. If not, maybe we'll move some of the training questions and and the philosophy, personal philosophy type questions to a a later show. I mean, why not? You know, it's an ongoing source. Um, Number one, what are some affordable foods that I should keep on hand for meal prep? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm a big fan of having proteins first. They're not necessarily the most affordable, tend to be the more expensive ones. Um, but cheaper proteins that work pretty good are usually eggs. Even like some of the pre-prepared egg whites are not too terribly expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, eggs you can find pretty much anywhere you go to. Um, the other thing I like is just old school, simple, you know, fruit, bananas, pears, apples, uh, berries when they're in season are really good, easy to prepare, just wash them off. Or if you want to live dangerously, don't wash them off, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I will I'll often tweet pictures because I'll I'll get blueberries when they're like five bucks for a shoebox oh, size. Yeah. And then I put them on a cookie sheet to spread them out and freeze them, you know. And my wife will point out that they don't taste exactly the same as a fresh blueberry, but nutritionally, frozen fruits and vegetables are the same. You know, so oh yeah, um, they're about as close as you can get. Yeah, so yeah. I'm a big so, fan of that. That way, I have cheap blueberries. I, in fact, I just filled up two big freezer bags, and I'm going to have my oats and berries for the whole next year. You know, nice. Yeah, another tip: a lot of making money from Costco is that they actually have a lot of very good organic uh, produce in season. So we bought some organic blueberries there the other day that were pretty inexpensive, actually, and they were really good. Yeah. There are certain foods uh, I would suggest anybody go check out a list of some of the the bigger offenders when it comes to insecticides. Like I wouldn't buy yeah. everything organic, but yeah, there are some things that I've looked at. Apples. Um, I, I wasn't sure about berries. Strawberries are usually the worst. Um, yeah, uh, bell peppers, I guess. Because uh, if you think about this, I mean, look at an apple tree, a wild apple tree that hasn't been sprayed. You know, it's pathetic. And so yeah. I, I understand the necessity in some of that, what we take for granted, big, juicy fruit almost year-round, here, you know, here at least in the States. But, um, yeah, there are some things might be better. And even when I do eat some of those things, I couldn't do it. Strawberries you have to wash and eat almost right away because they'll get sort of soggy and, and mm-hmm. gross. And um, I remember that was actually a question on my RD exam many years ago. I thought that was odd. It was so culinary, <laughs> you know. But yeah. – um, but stuff like apples, I'll even get the slightest bit of um, suds from dish soap, like an antibacterial dish soap or something, and kind of once over the apple. And if you think that's gross, I mean, of course, I rinse it completely, but um, a lot of those soap waxes and insecticides, yeah, it depends on the solubility, you know, and you might need some soap. But yeah, that, that's a good a list of stuff for that is the Environmental Working Group, or if you just go to ewg.org. Um, they've got usually their list of like they call the dirty dozen and the clean 15. Excellent. Got a lot of pretty, pretty non-biased information there. Actually, oh, that's probably tip. one of the better sites I've found. Sweet. Yeah. Good tip. Yeah. Um, yeah. Affordable foods. 
you're, I agree with you about eggs. As far as really high quality protein sources, it's hard to beat. And I do buy, like, I'll just go to Walmart and I'll just buy those, you know, quarts of, um, their off brand egg beaters, sort of. Yeah. And I eat a lot of those things. Sometimes, in fact, almost every time, I'll throw in one or two whole eggs just because I like an over easy egg, you know, and, uh, just add that to the list. But yeah, that's good stuff. Obviously, if you're just looking for calorie sources, dirt cheap things like dried goods, you know, rice, oh, yeah. beans. beans. Oh, yep. geez. Yeah, and you mix those together and you actually get a, a relatively complete protein and maybe not be the best, you know, optimal source, but pretty darn good and dirt cheap. If you're not lactose intolerant, when I was younger, I used to do this. I don't know if I could tolerate it now, but dried milk powder too. You, I mean, oh, it's, I did that for a while too. <laughs> you know, loaded with lactose, but uh, I used to make it like double strength, even like call f- whatever they call for. Does it taste like milk? No, <laughs> no, not very <laughs> but, good. <laughs> but it's a whopping bunch of casein and yeah, lactose sugar. So basically, protein and sugar. Um, but it's really cheap, and or you could just add it to you know spike shakes, you know, to stretch out your protein, your weight gainer shake. I don't know stuff like that, but. Yeah, with the liquid egg whites, I'll put them in protein shakes a lot of times or just, you know, throw in some other, you know, veggies or whatever else if you're really desperate. I've even mixed it with like Extend or a branch chain powder just to get a little more taste into it. And it's not too bad, actually. Yeah, you know, that's funny. I used to do that a lot. I would add whole eggs to my weight gainer shakes. I don't do that as much anymore. It might be because the consistency of the ones that I buy are, are pretty good. You know, I mean, the Biotest guys have just really tasty, good shakes. They're a little pricey, but uh, I've got a huge tub of Optimum Nutrition, like whey protein in my cupboard yep. right now. That's It just tastes good, and I feel a little less, you know, forced, to, I guess, to add uh, eggs to make it s- kind of suds it up and thicken it up. But maybe I should get back to that, yeah. I mean, we just read on the news blurb a week or two ago about how raw eggs, they're starting to change some of the warnings on them because I think they got – Maybe too much of a bad rap for foodborne illness and salmonella and and all that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and for a while I used to mix raw eggs just just straight as a pre or post workout actually just to just to play around with it and yeah, it was I don't know I didn't get sick but I would pay attention to where you get your eggs from so I bought yeah. them at the local farmers market so at least I knew where they were coming from but true yeah, I think yeah. it's probably a little bit overblown obviously if you're Older or younger or prone to disease, all that other kind of caveat supply. Sure, right. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Is sugar more or less equal to any other carb? No. Um, <laughs> the short answer, if I keep it simple, I would say it's pretty similar. I mean, obviously, there's going to be you know differences if you get into like endurance sport with the glucose transporters in the gut and trying to maximize that by using sucrose and fructose and different types of sugars and you know we've had dave barr and anthony amada on here from otargo which is a different type of carbohydrate has faster absorption it's a highly branched amylopectin so there's different types but i think the thing that people forget is that sugar in and of itself in an isolated form i think if you're healthy and active is not necessarily bad but you don't get any other micronutrition or fiber or anything else with it. So it's not necessarily that you're eating so much sugar per se, again, if you're healthy and active, but you're also using that in place of, you know, blueberries and strawberries and, you know, all the other vegetables and fruits and other things that have 
just tons of beneficial polyphenols that we probably haven't even put a name on them yet. No, it's that's a good call. I, I'm going to say no as well. Um, I'm going to focus more on the fructose part of it. Uh, people are very confused about high fructose corn syrup and all that. And, and you know, we've talked about that on the show yeah. before. But um, half of table sugar of sucrose is fructose. Your body does not metabolize that. Uh, well, I guess you could say. Now, am, am I going to avoid fruits? Because I've gone off on my fructose tangent in, in classes before, and they'd say, well, should I avoid fruit? No, no. There's so many phytochemicals and good things like you were saying, fiber and all those antioxidants and stuff in the fruit. Uh, whole fruits are fine. You know, Would I be chugging huge amounts of fruit juice, even real 100% juice? Probably not, honestly, in, unless I was very active and feeling depleted after a workout. Or, but it's the, the fructose is it's more glycating. You know, it gums up the proteins in your cells, and uh, it's metabolized differently. Like a lot of the control steps, and I, I know what you were saying, Mike. I don't want to bore people with individual <laughs> enzymes. Some of the control steps in the way your cells regulate carbohydrate breakdown get bypassed, and what you end up with is a lot of fatty acid formation, basically fat creation. I mean, you can actually give people, I've got a couple of different studies with really nice graphs, time courses where they gave people a bolus of like 50 grams of fructose, and then they did blood draws and they looked for their their blood fats, their blood lipids to change, and they went up dramatically. And I think that's really speaks to this idea that without by bypassing some of these enzyme gatekeepers in your cells, it just it runs through so quickly it creates the building blocks for fatty acids and you end up with higher blood triglycerides and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, my personal stance on that, and again, I know the IIFYM guys that if it fits your macros, they'd say, no, nope, carbs are carbs, you know. Well, you metabolize fructose differently. You just do. And I've done presentations even for continuing medical education for physicians like at the local hospital on some of the, you know, factors in the common diet that are honestly worsening the obesity epidemic. Uh, in the news we did today, there was a little bit on that. But anyway, the point being is, uh, yeah, I really am not a big fan of the fructose. I'd rather just have some type of starch over the sugar because starches, even if they're fast digesting, they're just chains of glucose units instead of glucose and fructose. And so... I'm actually a, a fan of that. Like sugars are what I would add to a dirty bulk. Like if you're desperate, that's fine. And Phil has said before that if you really like um, uh, carbohydrates, they're a great vehicle, you know, as, as oh, part sure. of a, a meal. So you can shovel in other things, get your protein in or, or what have you. So as a vehicle, they're great. And like I said, if I was if I was just recklessly gaining weight, I wouldn't count the sugar too much. But I would tend to go for the carbohydrate sources that were non-sucrose, right, non-table sugar, the white granular stuff, and non-high fructose corn syrup. Because also, as you said, HFCS, high fructose corn syrup, is when you see a lot of that in a food, that's that's a highly processed food with no real oh, yeah. other nutrients anyway. So, uh, yeah. Okay, what do we have next here? Um, this one can go two ways with training or nutrition. We'll do it with diet. Uh, and this bleeds over into the philosophy, maybe personal philosophy on things. 
What was your I'm going to take this diet seriously moment? So <laughs> was there a point at which you decided nutrition was something you really need to focus on? Yeah, I guess probably the, the thing that jumps into my head initially is probably not what most people are thinking about for weight loss, but in my case was for weight gain. Um, when I was in even my first year of college, I was the same height I am now, like about 6'3", and still weighed 156 pounds at that time, <laughs> which is really thin. <laughs> yeah. I'm huge now, like 230. But, and, you know, I had been gone past, you know, sort of your standard growth spurt. I'd been the same height since fifth grade, you know, so it wasn't like I was waiting for that to occur. Um, and I remember reading some articles by uh, Dr. John Berardi called like, Massive Eating 1 and 2, you know, for skinny bastards trying to gain weight. And I was like, oh, wow. Hey, that's me. <laughs> And I remember buying a, a cheap digital watch at Target and setting an alarm on it to go off every two and a half hours. And yeah. then I had to eat something <laughs> at that point. We used to do that in grad um, school, yeah. Yeah. And I remember I did an internship that summer. So I did this for, man, probably like a year and a half, actually. Uh, so then the first year, I went from 156 to 185. And, and not all of it was you know, lean mass or some fat, obviously. Um, and the biggest thing I found was just mixing up huge containers of milk with just a little bit of protein powder. I was too cheap to buy too much protein at that point. And I would start carrying a cooler around everywhere. So that was the running joke where I did an internship. They're like, oh, are you eating again? <laughs> um, and kind of just the general, I'd say, higher frequency-ish stuff I did for probably like the next 10 years or longer after that. Um, even when I was working for a med tech company, the running joke was because we had a one time I was in a lot of meetings all the time and I'm like, well, I'm just going to start eating during the meeting. You know, I didn't ask anyone if it was OK. I just started doing it. I figured <laughs> it's a new meeting. They'll get used to me doing it. And then a couple of times I wasn't eating in the meeting and people are like, are, are you OK? Are you sick today? I said, well, why? <laughs> nice. Like, You're not eating during our meeting. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that was an opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's so, funny. That was probably the first time I actually took it, I would say, pretty pretty serious and actually had a plan and actually stuck to it. Yeah, you and I are, are pretty similar in that way. Uh, for me, it was throughout my teens, I was, you know, we're talking about the 80s now, late 80s. Yeah. And I was, <laughs> I graduated high school at 155, you know, and I'm 215 now. But uh, I was really into the low-fat era you know like uh, I ate, yes i ate well fat air and aerobics if, if anything had more than three grams of fat i wouldn't eat it i, I literally oh. I'd look at the label oh yeah Horrible food. so i would eat <laughs> i per serving of course so i would have stuff like uh, pasta uh, i would chug lots of skim milk uh, but everything mm -hmm. was low fat and i honestly think it slowed my maturity you talked about growing to your maximum height in like fifth grade i actually grew an inch even in my college years and I honestly oh, wow. think having that low fat – now, looking back, I know that really low-fat, high-fiber diets do things like lower testosterone levels and things like that. Yeah. You know, At the same time, I'm in uh, – I was pole vaulting in track. I was doing very serious competitive taekwondo four times a week, uh, and I was lifting my butt off two hours a day. So how, oh, can, you, how can you stay in any kind of energy balance with no fat? You know, frankly, You'd have to strap a feed sack to yourself to even be neutral in oh, calories. It, but so 
I went through that period, but it really wasn't to my college years because, again, once I was no longer a teen, I was in my early 20s that I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm just I'm not even eating like a grown man. So how can I expect to, to gain weight, you know, because of this low fat hypocaloric thing? And I don't know if it was a single moment or if it was more of a behavioral drift toward, oh, hey, you know. This stuff, I can still identify this food because I really had a good food, bad food judgment mentality, you know. That's pretty common. I went through that too. Yeah. And I could start to judge or not judge foods that, hey, I think I can identify these foods as really good. They're on diet. Uh, And yes, they have some fat in them. You know, like how do you, looking back, I, I wonder how I even turned up my nose at things like whole eggs avocados, you know, um, <laughs> fatty steak. Yeah. Right. Steak mixed nuts. I mean, there's so many great things, uh, that I just was not consuming. So I think it was a, it was a slow, almost maturational process for me instead of a single moment. Um, but there's no doubt. I mean, almost the minute that I picked up a muscle magazine at age 13, uh, you know, everything was being, preached you know have the chicken breast and the broccoli or chicken breast and green Mm -hmm. beans there weren't many options really maybe salmon and cauliflower or green beans or spinach you know but it was always a a lean meat with a fibrous vegetable and honestly i think if americans did more of that across the board our disease burden would drop hugely but oh definitely but you can't do that all the time especially because i wanted to be a bodybuilder you know and that wasn't getting me there so uh, I, yeah, it, to me, it was a slow transition over the years of my undergrad and even into my grad school years that I slowly started adding these foods. And we've talked about this on the show before, but like there's a local gym owner, I'll withhold his name, but he's always in shape, you know, and he has been since I've known him for over 20 years and he's still 160 pounds, you know, and over the years, my brother and I just, as we changed our diets and that sort of thing, we just blew by the guy in strength and size and that's because i mean you can't build something from nothing that's it's that's all there is to it so you need uh, the energy you need the bricks and you need yeah yeah building blocks yeah yeah get it from nowhere so uh yeah and as far as diet as far as competition uh getting that serious um the first time i competed I, I competed in a natural contest. I just got back from spring break, and I was always so lean. I mean, I suppose one of the payoffs is when I was a kid was I was ridiculously lean uh, because when you're that young, you're so carbohydrate sensitive. You know, I had so much physical activity, and I was so hypocaloric from eating no fat that <laughs> I remember as an undergrad, I was always – I would be negative percent fat in the underwater weighing tank, you know, which is – Oh, wow. When in one sense, it's funny – uh, but in another sense, that therein lied my problem, you know. And so, but I was very lean, and I decided to compete in a natural show, and I just did not do well. I had a blast. I, I have an embarrassing video of it. I have to dig it up. It's on VHS, you know. <laughs> and I had a I had a ball, and you can see it on my face, you know, because I mean, I've always had that sort of calling, like Tom Platts would say, it's sort of a calling, like a priest. You're either drawn to that stuff, you know, or you don't get it. And Mm -hmm. I was very drawn to that. And I really enjoyed myself, but I didn't do well. I was too small. And even though I was lean, I didn't look ripped, if that makes any sense. I I wasn't, you know, like really muscular. 
And yeah. so, uh, you know, I think that was some that might have been a breaking point where I'm like, if I'm going to do this again, I'm going to frickin' do it right. And I think it was probably not it was 10, 15 years later before I really did it right. And, you know, I, honestly, I didn't hit my stride with how to do a bodybuilding competition diet until my 30s and 40s. I mean, that's where I really understood what it took, you know, the 20 weeks, the progressive increase in cardio and decrease in carbohydrates and, you know, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, and if you're a natural competitor, it just takes years and decades to appreciate any, you know, substantial lean mass unless you're just a genetic outlier. You know, thank you. you. It just takes a long freaking time. Well, I remember Arnold saying, you know, in Pumping Iron, he's like, you know, if uh, just like a sculptor, if you want some extra rear deltoids, you just, you know, do the exercise and it's like slap on some clay. I'm like, slap on some clay, you know, when you're eating half a bottle of Anadrol, maybe. (laughs) But it's going to take me like four years to have any difference in my overall deltoids at all, you know. Uh, I know, I I hear you. And especially, like I said, the the cursing myself with the low-fat and eventually higher-fiber diets. Now I'm not only hypocaloric, I'm low-testosterone probably. I mean, maybe not clinically so uh, because I was young enough that, let's face it, when you're that young – most men, Doesn't young matter men, as yeah, much. Yeah. yeah, testosterone's like seven hundred on a thousand scale or something. It's coming <laughs> out of your ears. But at the same time, I wasn't doing myself any favors. Anyway, uh, yeah. So those were some moments, either regular diet or or contest. So now I know that you are just about out of time, dude, because you're. Uh, where are yeah. you right now? I'm in uh, Springfield, Missouri. Uh, as of recording this, I just uh, did a talk here for the Physique Summit last night, talking about. Uh, Heart rate variability to use for contest prep and deloads. So, yeah, went really well. And uh, they gave me some extra time to answer a bunch of questions and just headed back over there for day two. I think uh, Brian Whitaker speaking, Dr. Lane Norton, Cliff Wilson, John Gorman. And I hope I didn't forget anyone else in my sleep-deprived state. But, yeah, it's been pretty fun. Yeah, we've had Lane on the show before. Um He's just such he's when you talk to him he's so much like a one of us kind of mentality oh, yeah. you know that he's fun <laughs> to talk to but um yeah everybody we were talking before we hit the record button but I think Dr. Nelson's going to fish around maybe we could get some of these guys yeah. on the, on the show I mean it just, it just fits you know their 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 shtick their MO just really fits with Iron Radio so yeah totally okay good stuff awesome uh, stuff. that'll be it. Uh, look for maybe more Reddit questions in the future. I've got a sheet full of these that I've been plucking. And again, when I saw that sub Reddit on, um, specifically about weight gain, I'm like, well, there's not that many specialists in that. You know, you talk to a lot of dietitians and they're everything they angle when they say weight management, they mean weight loss and they don't always just mean fat loss. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people they as long as you weigh less, they're happy. And it's like, well, dude, you that was a, not a very favorable body composition change. You just you're a smaller but similarly flabby or even worse looking version of yourself. <laughs> but, but the flip side of that, weight gain is really hard for people. So, you know, especially if you're trying to gain some lean mass and not just you know, a bunch of fat. Exactly. So that might that really tore my heart out. And I'm like, you know, I need to set up a a thread or something there, something that I, I can't have to i don't have to tend constantly you know but it could be a source and maybe we'll do a little section uh in upcoming shows so okay good stuff man well go cool. learn some more Thanks, guys 
All right, we'll see science. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.